I love the way the First Gen Lounge makes me feel. Because it creates a space where I belong. Where we're able to create community. The fact that it's a community. It's a safe place. It also gives me a place to understand different perspectives. The stories of these individuals prescribe transformational perspective. I receive encouragement, enlightenment, empowerment. And also serve as a catalyst to just keep going. Where we're able to be our true selves. I'm allowed to be an unapologetic first gen. And above all else, tell our story. And every episode is unique. I love it. I'm your host, Dr. Eve, and I'd like to welcome you to the First Gen Lounge. Good family, good family, good family. What's up? Welcome back. And to all of you who are new, welcome, welcome to you. Okay, so check it out. We have with us today, and I'm really excited about this because, you know, Mississippi is my second home. But our guest today is straight up from the Mississippi Delta, JSU graduate, or may I say the Jackson State University, because y'all know y'all get somebody correct real quick. But I'm so glad to have with us Anthony Webster, aka Effortlessly Ant. What's up, friend? Hey, Dr. Eve, how are you? I am wonderful, and I am so glad to have you here. I love connecting with my people. Mississippians are my people, so you my people. I was so excited when we connected. I was like, ah, yes. check this out. But yes, please, I don't want to you know, keep us long and just getting to know about you and hearing your story. So please tell us, who are you? Who is Anthony Webster? Who am I? And thank you for that introduction. Listen, I was over, I was over here getting hyped. Like, yes, they should be I love. But who am I? You know, I, I think I... I am everything that I am not, right? And so I think when people ask me, who am I? I oftentimes have to start with where I come from, right? From Greenville, Mississippi, as you stated. And uh, I was born to teenage parents. My mom was 14. My dad was 16. And so I was raised primarily by a grandmother with an eighth grade education, right? And so a lot of that has informed how I've navigated the world, right? How I did education, how I did life, how I've done life. And so that right there is kind of how, how I got my grit and persistence to move through any situation, right? And so that's been really how I've been informing my life thus far, even from the beginning. Mm, what was it like for you being raised by a grandparent? Because my grandparents are very instrumental in my life as well. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. I, I would say that with my grandmother raising me, I was not exposed to a lot, but I had a lot of knowledge and wisdom, right? I knew stuff like I grew up drinking black coffee and lighting cigarettes off the stove, you know? And so (laughs) like I I lived three lives before I even started living life, right? And so with that, I think that has really embedded a lot of morals and values in me that I don't see a lot in many, many people today. Mm, I I love that. And, you know, just thinking about that old wisdom, like you said, just the, the things your grandparents tell you when you were a kid, that when you get old, you'd be like, yo, they was talking about something. Right. It makes sense now. Any things that, you know, your grandmother shared with you that you can share with us that finally hit you? Oh, so much. Oh, you got to have me go back down memory lane and just really think deeply. Uh, One thing my grandmother embedded into me and my cousins, right? The notion that we stick together. Mm. I think that's one thing that I've really been able to see is like people that you're for, that ride for you, that you have in your corner. You treat those people good, right? You treat those people with respect and you give them the respect that they need and deserve because they're going to ride or die for you. And I think that's one thing that I will take, that I have taken from my grandmother in terms of just, you know, ride for your people, like especially family. And if you have friends who are family, who become family, they might as well be blood, right? And so, because I mean, growing up in the neighborhood that I grew up, 
you know, everybody called my grandma, grandma. And these were kids she probably had met once or twice, but because they were my friends, they were her friends. They were her kids too, right? And so that's the kind of that's the kind of way I, I believe, you know, we all should be, you know, taking care of everybody. It's a take the village. Absolutely. No doubt about that. And I love that. One thing I can say, you know, just with my experiences having lived in Mississippi for so long is that it's something about community there. Like yes. this community like none other. Like when people take you in, they take you in. So though I moved to Mississippi and I didn't have any family or friends native to the place, I definitely can say I was never without. So from, you know, a Thanksgiving where I needed somewhere to go, from yes. my first exposure to Rotel Dip, which I ain't no better <laughs> but that. Baby, listen, that to the Mississippi Delta catfish, like yes, people yeah. made sure I was fed, that I was loved on. And I want to say the folks who I met in Mississippi, even married in Mississippi. And so, I mean, that's just how deep it is for me. Right, but right. definitely there's a love and there's a community like no other place that I have been. So I honor Mississippi for the relationships and just the life that it helped me to create. So that's why I was like, oh my gosh, and for Mississippi! Like, you know, that definitely excites me because it's a very special place and people don't realize because I think some people don't know, Mississippi is the heart of a lot of culture across the nation. Definitely. Um, from blues music to the soul food to, you know, celebrities who come up out of Mississippi, Brandy and Oprah and I believe Morgan Freeman and there's a couple other folks who are Mississippi natives. And I'm like, Snoop Dogg as well, I believe, came from Mississippi. You know what? I think I heard something about that too. Um, and there's yeah. somebody else who I just learned about. I'm going to have to go back and look, but we can talk about this all day. But again, I'm just excited to have you here because people <laughs> need to see Mississippi greatness, right? For and sure. you are an HBCU graduate. So shout out to you for that. I just want to know really quickly why though, because you could have gone to Alcorn, you could have gone to Valley. Like what made you choose Jackson State? What made me choose Jackson State? You know, I always look back you know, and it's funny when people ask this question because being the expert of, you know, college admissions and access and I work with students all the time about, you know, how to choose and select colleges, I didn't use that theory or that method in my college selection process, right? Being first gen, I just went to school. You know, <laughs> it wasn't a, a, a how, how do you do it, the, the match safety reach process where you're helping yourself. Like, I didn't do none of that, right? So I went to school. I had no idea of what I was getting myself into. And so when I was applying to colleges, I believe I applied to all those schools. However, I believe, you know, and I don't recommend this for any student that's may, that may be listening to this, but, you know, I went to Jackson State because the majority of my friends were going to Jackson State. And I was like, okay, that's where we're going. Let's do it, right? Because <laughs> they had family and siblings and parents who had gone to college. And so they were, you know, I'm, I'm they're, they're leading by example. So I'm like, okay, if they're doing this, this is where I'm going to. And I remember going to check the mailbox one night around maybe 6 7 o'clock. It was dark outside. And my acceptance letter was in the mail. And I opened it up, uh, standing at the mailbox, because I didn't want to wait to get back in the house to open it. And I had got accepted. And I ran back in, and my mama's beautician was doing her hair. And I was like, look, I got into Jackson State. And then, you know, the rest is history. But you know, I just, I just went to school without any knowledge or preparation to kind of get me ready for that process. Because mm. the other thing, too, about Jackson State, it's not a small school. Right. Definitely a large campus. And, you know, we know if you don't come from a big space, sometimes it can be hard to navigate big spaces. But I definitely say I think the element that may have been helpful to you was being at an HBCU where be it that as large or small, you just feel like community. You feel like you're at home. So I can dig that. I love it. So, I mean, you know, once JSU, you got your bachelor's, got your master's. 
And then, well, no, you got your bachelor's. Then you went on to Michigan. Yes. Why did yeah. you leave home? Like, who who do you think you are to leave home? Because you know how they can be sometimes when, you know, you're from the areas where stay here and take care of grandma and take care of your aunt. But you was like, I'm out. You know, that was a, that was a crazy time, right? What, 10 years ago? So I was, how old was I 10 years ago? 22 years old? Wow, right? Just full of life and just ready to go. And it was a it was a quick, easy decision for me. I, I After I left JSU, well, right before I left JSU, I had applied to Georgia State. Eventually got no, but them denying me, but it's cool if they're listening. <laughs> um, but uh, the admissions officers at Georgia State, you know, gracefully told me no. And I was like, oh, what am I going to do, right? And so... When I did figure out, okay, I still need to go to school, I ended up, you know, applying to different schools that had higher ed programs. And Eastern Michigan was one of those schools that came up on Google. So I was like, I'm I'm applying there. And so I applied there. And about two weeks later, I got accepted and I moved to Ypsilanti, Michigan. And at the time, I didn't know how to pronounce Ypsilanti, Michigan. I don't know what I was calling it, but ended up moving to Ypsilanti and started my life here in Michigan. Uh, September, maybe after Labor Day weekend in September 2010, been a good ride. That's good. And I, I say that's good because I know how frightening it can be mm-hmm. depending on who you are and where you're from to take on a bigger space or to go somewhere that's not familiar. And you went clear across the country, you know, so from the from the bottom of the map to the top of it. Top. And yes. I mean, like I said, you went from, you know, humid summers to freezing winter. So I just exactly. imagine. Exactly. Exactly. Look, Dr. Eve, we're $60 in my pocket. Let's Ooh. add that. Ooh. Let's, 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 talk, let's, let's talk about that because, I mean, you know, coming where I came from, it was really a matter of this all we got, you know. And thankfully, mm-hmm. I had secured a job working working as a um, manager in the dining hall prior to getting to campus. So I had a job lined up already. So I knew I would be, would be making money when I got here. But I left Mississippi with $60 in my pocket. Man, listen, we talking the same language right now. How did you manage those $60 and manage getting by until? Because between finding a place to live and getting, you know, food to eat, though I'm pretty sure that probably helped, you know, where you were working and just figuring it out. How did you do that? Because that's that's a story. It is. It is. You know, of course, you know, I had learned how to grocery shop and, and done all that stuff uh, as a kid. So that was no problem. But that's $60 was a bunch of noodles and canned, you know, canned soups and stuff like that. But again, as soon as I got there, let me tell you about the community and the network that I was able to find when I got to Michigan. The guy who hired me was actually from Louisiana, so he had Southern roots. And so he, you know, saw that I was from Mississippi and that I had the availability and the hours to run the shop that he wanted me to run. And so, you know, when I first got there, you know, I had to go meet with him maybe a day or two after being in Michigan. So immediately... When I got to campus, I had a, I was building a community, starting with him. And so from there, it was, you know, up, uphill. You know, it was not really a matter of, you know, oh, he's hungry or oh, I'm in the residence hall hungry. Because I, I actually lived in a graduate school apartment on campus. So mm-hmm. I didn't come here and get a whole fancy apartment. Uh, I lived in a, a graduate school housing on campus with other grad students. I think I had a, a senior cl- uh, roommate at one point, but... But yeah, I didn't get a fancy apartment. And so with 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 David, what's his name? David helped me tremendously with, you know, managing that little $60. And he was helping out with some stuff from the dining hall. And then, of course, eventually I got my first check. And so one thing that really helped with me, and that was a very vulnerable time, too. My, and I could not come up here with a, 
oh, I'm not going to network and talk to people. No, I needed to talk to people because I was a fish out of water and needed to start making connections immediately. Mm. I love that you mentioned that you had help. Yes. And that you had to open up your damn mouth because Mm -hmm. what that says is there are opportunities for us, especially as first-generation college graduates. We just have to, one, seize the opportunities, and then, two, not be afraid to ask what we need, but then, three, to trust that there's going to be somebody who's going to help us. You have to believe it. Gosh, yes, because, um, again, same. I moved from North Carolina, went to Mississippi School of Math and Science. So similar to yourself, I had Mm -hmm. a space that was covered for me to live in, had a meal plan, which I was really grateful for. But I think long term, when I got ready to go to grad school at Southern Miss and just move around any other way, I had to ask for what I needed. But make it known, no, I don't have anywhere to go for the holidays or no, I'm not going home right now. I can't afford to. And people opened their home to me and made sure that I was good. And I think I may have just been a little bit richer than you. I moved with $100 in my pocket (laughs) and I had to figure out for like a month and a half, just, you know, making it, getting gas. I needed glasses. I was putting tape and super glue on. We ain't even going to go there. But, um, and I know that's probably actually one of the first times I really put that out there like that, but it was, it was something. So thank you for sharing that. If you want it, go for it. Definitely. You got to, you have to. And I I appreciate that. Open your damn mouth uh, comment because, you know, I didn't have a car, right? You mentioned getting gas. I I didn't even have a car. So I remember, that first semester, Dr. E, getting my schedule and seeing that one of the classes that I needed to take was off campus. Mm. I went to that teacher and said, ma'am, look, I, I'm in this class. I need it, but I can't get there. And that lady told me, Anthony, meet me at my office every day at 530. Well, on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 530. And I'll take you can ride with me from campus. Wow. And she would take me to class, of course. And that, that held me accountable as a student to make sure I had my reading assignments done because I'm riding the class with the teacher, right? So I had to get in there and, you know, not have to show up. But, you know, it helped me out a lot. But again, opening your mouth and being transparent and, and having conversations with people and not having this whole notion that, you know, not trusting people because you're going to have to trust people. And I think when you have a discerning spirit of, you know, with people who have positive vibes and, things like that, you, you end up in spaces and places that people want to really help support you and help you be successful. Mm, I'm with that. And you said you did not have a car. Wasn't no Uber back then. Wasn't no, no Lyft. No, yes, it was not. And depending on where you stay, no public transportation, so... I can. And it's a land. It was public transportation, but it wasn't going that. I think that class was about 35, 40 minutes out. Goodness. Wow. And so that's something that you, like you said, you didn't expect. So I think that's a great lesson to those who are considering going to graduate school and asking about those things. Like, how were the classes set up? Like, you don't think, oh, every class is going to be just like it was an undergrad on campus. Right. No. How many campuses are there? Is this going to be online? Is this going to be hybrid? So thank you for bringing that up too. Very necessary. So again, like you are doing a lot of incredible work, just, you know, professionally in higher ed, dominating in your space, but it's still just kind of focusing on the life piece. What do you think has helped you to be successful, you know, just in general? In general, I would honestly say the fear of failure and Mm. learning from my mistakes. I think, you know, having gone to Jackson State, and people think I joke when I say, you know, Jackson State or HBCUs in general, right? I think allow you the space to make mistakes and fail. And there are people in those spaces and places that help pick you up and dust you off and say, okay, this is what you did. This is what you did wrong. Let's show you how to do it right. And, right. and I, I can't say that for a lot of places. And, and having, you know, 
worked at, you know, predominantly white institution as two year and four year schools. You know, people like that are rare. But at an HBCU, that's the culture. Right. You may find that at your PWI. You may find it at your, you know, your, your other schools. But that's the culture of the HBCU. And I think that's one thing that I, I really appreciate that has really manifested itself in my personal life is that I'm going to go hard and give 110 percent with everything that I, that I put my name on. Because, again, my name is on it. And I, I'm always thinking about my legacy. You know, what are people saying about Anthony when he's not in the room? You know, and. You know, people oftentimes say, oh, don't don't worry about what people think about you. I'm like, but no, it matters because what people think about me is going to help me get into spaces, help me get a job, help me, you know, leave this legacy that I, that I do so want to make sure that I, I'm preparing myself for. So that way, when it's all said and done, they're going to they're gonna say, now he was a bad man, a jam, right? And that's, that's what I'm mm-hmm. working on. Yes. And they, sh- and they should. And it's interesting that you said you have that vision because by having the vision, you know how to show up and where to show up. And yes for whom to show up as well. So I think that that really makes a difference. Just really curious, since, I mean, being where you are, because I said you've been gone for 10 years now and, you know, kind of like, dang, and do us like that. He left and come back. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, similarly, when I left for undergrad, I hadn't moved back to Charlotte, though I wanted to move back and I've been gone for over 10 years. But just kind of just thinking of the relationship back at home. How have you been able to maintain those, especially with you being so far away and just kind of deal with life happening back in Mississippi, but you in Michigan and having to still just live your life? Yeah, it was difficult at first. I remember initially being very homesick. So, you know, I I drove, you know, road from, for a matter of terminology, road to Michigan. So my first time flying on an airplane for real, for real, was when I flew home from Michigan, like in October of, oh no, that, maybe it was like April or May, that following semester, right? Wow. So my first time getting on an airplane, right? And so of course, you know, I had never flown anywhere, didn't know how to navigate an airport. So that was all a new experience for me. And so, you know, with the development of FaceTime and things like that, it's gotten a lot better. But one thing I realized is that I need to start living my life. I think I carry some type of guilt at first, by you know, for leaving home, I, I was mm-hmm. I felt guilty, you know, mm-hmm. and so every waking moment that I could, I was going back home, right, and so here I am at 32 now, never gone to Vegas, never done a trip in Miami, never been out of the country yet, right, and I say yeah because I'm gonna make it happen, but I realized that in my earlier years, every time I got a vacation from work, every time I got a vacation from school. I was going back to Greenville, right? Just trying to make sure my family was good because I felt so guilty about it, not not being there and climbing the ladder and reaching a level of success. And they weren't here physically with me to celebrate that, right? So going home was kind of like my thing. Uh, and, I, and I've just most recently started to say, you know what, Aunt? You can't keep going home every time because you're going to miss out on living the life that you're working, yourself, working for yourself to build to live. Mm. So that's kind of where I'm at right now with that. But, you know, FaceTime and, and, and video chatting and calling has has really sustained over the years, and especially during COVID. Mm. Appreciate you mentioning the guilt part, because as somebody who I'm pretty sure played a very instrumental role in your family, and how could you go off? Like you went off to college already, but how could mm-hmm. you leave? How could you leave us? And who do you like? So who do you think you ought to leave? Yes. Man, so are there any other things that you did to get past the guilt? Like I know you said, you know, just really being focused on living your life. But are there any other things that maybe you took to or any any advice somebody gave you that really helped you navigate that? 
Yeah, I, I, I don't know when I heard this. And I don't know who told me, but I, I remember someone telling me to make myself proud, right? Everything that I'm doing at this point is to make me proud. And that's one thing that I, I try to tell myself every day because sometimes the guilt does creep back up. So even though I've, I've you know, started to live my life, the guilt sort of, if, if somebody's calling and says, oh, this person's not doing well, you know, because over 10 years, there have been, there have been deaths. People have yeah. gotten ill. You know, there, there's been so much to happen, right? And I'm like, dang, if I could have been there. And then you think, if I, if I was there, I couldn't have done nothing. Mm. I couldn't have done anything, right? Mm. And so I had, to st- I had to come to terms with that. I remember in 2013, I had a younger cousin who was 18 or 19 at the time who was murdered. Wow. And I remember a few weeks prior, you know, chatting with him on Facebook because uh, he was getting ready to have a child. And just asking him how that process was going, being a new dad, you know, and thinking about if I had been there or if I had said something differently on the chat. Because, I mean, at this point, that's all I have. Chatting with him on Facebook pages and FaceTime and things like that. And so I had to really come to terms with that. I cannot change what is inevitable, right? It's going to happen. And I cannot, you know, hinder my life and what I have going on and the goals that I, I foresee for myself because I'm too busy focusing on how do I, you know, not feel guilty about leaving home and, and venturing out to, to on my own? So it, it, it take, it's a process. It really is a process. I think, you know, everybody has to go through, especially if you are coming from a place like Mississippi and then moving away. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And being a professional, you know, just want to tap into that. How have you been able to get the support that you've needed to navigate the professional space as well? Because you uprooted yourself from your entire community going to a different state, really, and learning the culture, learning just everything, um, and then having to start your career. What has helped you to move smoothly through that? I would first and foremost like to give a shout out to the brothers of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated because I leaned heavily on the shield to even kickstart my professional career when I got my first job right after grad school. So I I say that to say, you know, not everybody's a part of a fraternity or sorority, but if you have a professional network, you know, lean in on that network because there are people who are in those uh, those organizations who are prepared and ready to help you with overcome those hurdles and barriers and put a, a good word in for you, be a sponsor, a coach or a mentor. Right. And I think building that community is so important professionally. You want to have that coach, that mentor, and that sponsor. That's so important. And for a lot of time, for a lot of spaces that I've been able to occupy, my fraternity brothers have been very instrumental in that. And of course, from there, I've been able to reach out and network with people from conferences and people that I've been able to meet throughout my professional career. And, you know, I'm not one to ever burn bridges. I think that's one thing that I've been so fortunate enough to have been able to not do in my career is not burn bridges because when I show up, I show up and I have the, the armor of, I say the armor of student success, you know, because everything that I do is in the name of making sure that the students are successful. So if you see my name on something, if you see, you know, that I'm a part of something that, you know, it's going to be high quality work. And I think when you do that, people want to be a part of it, right? I'm always going to say, I'm on, I'm on the winning team. Do you want to be a part of it or not? If you don't, then keep it moving. But if you, you want success and to be a part of the winning team, then let's rock and roll. And I think, you know, when I, since I've been able to do that, though, it's been a, a matter that, you know, I've been able to build my network and, and connect with people who've been very instrumental in my success thus far. 
Mm, I appreciate that. And shout out to the Alphas. I'm going to shout out to the Deltas, Mississippi. Because, man, when I moved, talking about some sorors, them two mm-hmm. sisters down there. <laughs> Especially, you know, OE, I see you. Mew New, what's up? I'm talking about help me down. And some of my best friends to this day have come from that time. So, yes, leaning on that shield. I'm glad yes. you said that. Um, man, just, you know, I don't know if you know my husband. Shout out to hubby. He's an alpha, too. So, hey, look, everybody knows I love alphas. So you did decide to, you know, pursue a PhD. And again, you are a full-time professional. So what led to that decision for you again? Because though you got the master's, like, you already got the bachelor's, eh? Why are you going back to school? So just just kind of thinking about these these narratives that can sometimes come up as first-gen college grads, especially why you're still in school when you're ever going to finish. So, you know, what led you to that decision? And then I'm interested in knowing how are you balancing the two? Because a PhD ain't no joke. Kitty, no joke. Say that again. Say that again. <laughs> so I, w- I would say to your first question around, um, you know, why I decided to go back to school. And this is, you know, a, a very transparent moment. I was realizing, so I'm, I'm looking to elevate myself financially, elevate myself in, in a position as well as responsibilities within the profession. And I was realizing that when I was applying for various jobs, now, I'll back up a little bit. I wanted to get my PhD right out of the master's degree. And then someone told me, you know what, Anthony, go and get some work experience first. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll put a pin in that and then I'll go back to school sometime after I get work experience. And so after working for eight years, I eventually threw my hat in the ring for two programs that I was denied for. Uh, and I was like, well, you know what? Nope, I, I've come this far. I'm going to still do it. And so I ended up applying to Wayne State University in the Ed Leadership and Policy Studies Doc program where I started this past fall. But to, to the point, I realized that I was coming up and I was positioning myself to take on positions that required a terminal degree. Hmm. And so I realized, that, OK, now, Anthony, it's time now, right? It's time to now position yourself and invest in yourself farther, right? To make sure that you are, you know, you, you can't give the interviewers or the uh, a reason to tell you no, right? And so mm-hmm. if you apply for these jobs, they say masters require PhD preferred. Well, guess what? I got that too. And so I think that was like kind of the driving force. And of course, you know, I have a underlying burning passion to connect research with, you know, action and can turn into policy because I, I've seen how, you know, one-sided policies negatively impact, you know, a lot of black and brown students in this country. And so that passion there, coupled with, you know, me, I want to climb the ladder and get these these good jobs, was kind of the the initial force of why I decided to go back. Hmm. But yeah, and to ask the second question too, and to, to your second point, how I've been balancing it, I got a fellowship. That fellowship is the, um, I'm a home scholar at Wayne State University through the AACTE, American Association for Teacher Education. And with that fellowship, uh, I have full tuition paid for for three years. I have a a $20,000 stipend for the next three years, Mm. as well as I receive travel and conference fees. Mm. And that was the, the work of the Lord, because I always said that if I went back to school, I wasn't paying for it. And I didn't know how I was going to pay for it, but that that fellowship literally walked through my email. And I was like, oh, I'm applying for this, right? Mm. And so with that, and they only selected three people, three people, and I was one of them. So I just, you know, praise break again for a second on, on, on that. And so I balanced it because I had a transparent conversation with my current job and saying, hey, this is what I'm about to do. 
you know, this is what I, I'm, I'm going forward to, you know, to make myself better and best in myself. They were on board with, so I had that conversation and then I got this stipend. So I was like, I'm in the right place. Everything is lining up. Nobody hating on me, right? And so when I did that, you know, um, being able to just really fine tune my time management skills, you know, keeping my notes and journals up to date and making sure that I am just being transparent across the board. So if I got a paper due or an assignment that's coming up, I've got to read some articles for class. I'm letting my boss know, hey, you know, I'm gonna get that assignment done. So I think that's where you, the, the balance comes in being transparent and just really mastering the time management skills. I think that's a skill set that we're forever going to be developing on. But I think, you know, throwing yourself into a PhD program full time and working full time as well forces you to really be serious about that. Because mm. no time for error, no time for games, no time exactly. to be wasted. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I am um, struggled, you know, being candid with being full time and going to school. Though work was paying for school when I was going, when I had to transition and work full time for a little bit, I couldn't keep it up. But school was a priority for me. So I was willing to walk away from it and figure it out otherwise. And mm-hmm. it worked out. So I like that you say, though, just taking yourself serious, but then that you had the opportunity. And because you read your emails, <laughs> like, yes. thank you for being of the age of reading emails because everything that pops up on social media, you know, is not always seen. But if you open your emails for opportunities, I'm, I'm still a big emailer. So I know we came up in that generation. Don't like text me. I may forget it. I can't unread it. But if you email me, I'll get to it. I'll see it. And I'm going to sit with it. So exactly. But you put yourself out there and then to be one of three. Come on, black man from Mississippi. <laughs> like what a three. Mm. It was just destiny. It's, it's beautiful how the stars align when mm. you position yourself and when you are walking intentionally and doing what you know that you were called to do. Because that's why it happened. So I, I love that. I really love that. So, you know, we could probably talk all day because, again, we just got these shared roots. I, I still say if I were born another lifetime, I probably was born in Mississippi. I'm, I feel that way. Probably so. And yeah, because I, I just felt just right on at home when I was down there. <laughs> you know, it wasn't one of those people like Mississippi was down there. I'm like, my love is down there, you know, right. my, my future. And if it had not been for some family changes and me wanting to get back, and then just finally get into a place where I wanted something different and Mississippi couldn't offer it, I would probably still be down there. So that's mm-hmm. all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. But yeah, but I would just really love to know at this point if there's anything, any parting words of wisdom or any advice that you would like to leave us with. Definitely, you know, for, for sure. Thank you for the opportunity to just come on and chat with, you know, the, the phenomenal folks that's, that's listening out there. But my parting words would definitely be go for it. That's what I want to say. Go for it. Whatever it is, go for it. And, you know, when, you, when you're in the right place, you'll know it. You'll know it. And just don't stop. Pedal to the floor and just go and don't stop. Don't look back. Hmm. I'm with that. I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you, Anthony, for showing up. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for your words today and for this really amazing conversation that we've had. Because again, I just feel like we cousins sit on the porch drinking sweet tea. You know, what I'm you know how it is. So it's just like, I, I just, I appreciate that and what you've been able to share and just wishing you well in your continued journey to do what you're going to do to change the world in the way that you know you will. Just know that we here at the First Gen Lounge and from Evangeline Worldwide, we have your back. As well as for those of you who like, yeah, I'm rocking with Anthony. I want to holler at him. How can I find him? Go to his show notes. Every show I tell you, go to the show notes. The links are there for you to connect directly. 
so that you can make a friend with our new friend, with our family, with our brother. All right. But until next time, Anthony, be good. Stay warm. Stay cool. Whatever the weather is throwing you up there right. in Michigan. <laughs> and, um, you know, we look forward to connecting with you again. Definitely. Take care.